if it's good or if it's not good, it doesn't matter. We'll just put it on the internet. If people like it, people like it. People don't like it, it's the internet. People forget about it. But the most important thing is to go back into the studio the next day and make something else and do the same thing. That's Remy Weeks, director of the ambitious new Netflix horror film, His House, talking about the online videos that helped him hone his craft as a movie maker. Remy Weeks is our guest on this episode of Movie Maker Interviews, and he talks about how he created a very scary movie that's also a deeply researched story about immigration. The film stars Winmi Musaka and Shape Derisu as a couple who flee war in South Sudan and after a harrowing journey, arrive in the UK. But their problems are just starting. There are some very general spoilers in this episode, and I honestly recommend watching the film first. It's truly striking and truly different, but I don't think anything here will ruin it for you. I spoke with the London-based writer-director a few days ago over Zoom. Remy Week's debut feature film, His House, is now streaming on Netflix. Remy Weeks, welcome to Movie Maker Interviews. Congratulations on this film. Thank you. It's very scary. It's very moving. Can you talk about where the idea for it first came from? Sure. So um, this is my first film. And before this film, I was doing commercials and short films and uh, music videos and all of that. And the production company I was signed to shared office space with two producers of feature films and so every time I went to see went into the production company I'd always see them and I'd always talk about my dreams of making movies and they were always telling me their projects and they mentioned that they were working on a horror film um, but but about the immigration experience but the writers um, Felicity and Toby and them they for whatever reason, one quite getting to the place they wanted it to go. And they, were asked, they asked me if I wanted to pitch them my take on the concept. Oh. And so I pitched them basically the movie that, you, that, that we made, which was a very intimate two-hander between a married couple, um, I guess, learning how to um, deal with their trauma, um, trying to survive after surviving. Um, which they liked, and so I wrote it, and then we made it. Wow. Were you more intrigued by the refugee story or the horror story or the way that the two came together? Um, I was definitely most intrigued by telling a very per- like a very intimate story about two people um, that dealt with things that I've often thought a lot about being a person of color in the UK and the communities that I, I was surrounded by, um, there, there's always a conversation about assimilation. How far do you assimilate? How much of yourself do you let go to fit into your new, the new world you live in? And so I, w- I really wanted to interrogate those feelings. And so that, that was probably the thing that really excited me about writing this, this film. And also, I guess, second, secondly, being able to tell it in a way that could, you could really play with the whole genre and make some really interesting visuals based on those feelings. Yeah, the visuals are stupendous and Thank you. terrifying. How did, and it's hard to be scary at this point. I mean, people have seen everything. Yeah. Can you talk about 
the influences that sort of informed the decisions you made about how the how the I don't want to give too much away, but it's a ghost story. How the ghosts look. So most of the visuals was uh, a kind of mix of Western or um, English or European um, folklore and I guess the history of telling spooky stories over here, but then mixed in with a more East African idea of spooky stories and folk tales. So um, the when we are talking about Night Witch and then a pet, that those are creatures based on Dinka, which is a tribe in South Sudan. It's based on their stories and their folklores and myths and stuff. And so it was fun to utilize the two different cultures to create the spooky stuff. Yeah. Can you tell people very generally what they're fleeing in South Sudan? And I know that might seem like the most basic question because we all know that there was a horrible genocide in Sudan, but these particular characters. Uh, so yeah, in South Sudan, which is one of the world's, I think it still is probably the world's um, youngest countries, they're currently going through a civil war, which is primarily between two tribal groups, the Dinka and the Nur. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of people are escaping that civil war and are, I guess, fleeing their homes and are finding themselves homeless and so are moving to neighboring regions and like the two characters into Europe, the two characters in the film into Europe. Yeah. How much research did you do into South Sudan and how much research did you do into the situation for refugees coming into Europe? So we did a lot. We began the writing process with research into both the um, this, the situation, the um, political and the industrial, I guess, situation in the UK and how to deal with asylum seekers and immigrants. Um, and also we researched into the migration process, so how you would travel from Africa into Europe and into the UK. We utilised researchers, and so um, we, we were working with someone called Lucy Witten, and she helped us dig into the real, almost banal, like how do you, what happens when you're picked up by the government, whether they take you, what, what are the detention centers like yeah. when you're an asylum seeker, what, you know, what, are, what are the rules you have to follow? And that's where we learned about when you're an asylum seeker and you're given a house, you have to follow by draconian rules, like um, you're not allowed to leave the house and you're not allowed to get a job and you get given very little money. And so it, it seemed like a really situation to tell a haunted house story yeah. when you're forced to live with your demons, so to speak. And then, as, as well as that, we did a lot of research into South Sudan. So we worked with um, a man called Moran, who's, uh, he's from South Sudan, but he's also a university lecturer in um, the UK, and we worked with him to really get as much information and detail about the culture, the politics, the, the language, the just, just details that you need to make sure that we're telling an authentic story. Yeah. Yeah, it is a, 
it feels like we're really transported and I really appreciate when we get to go back and see life in South Sudan. Um, some things happen there that sort of upend the movie. Can you talk about how you made the decisions about what to reveal when? Totally. So like a big part of this film is a conversation about the good immigrant and the expectations of what immigrants need to have for them to feel safe in any country. And the big conversation we have here is the need for immigrants or others in general to be good and to be seen as objectively um, um, angels rather than, I guess, more complicated, more difficult characters. And so what, was, what we wanted to do with the story is tell is show these characters in quite clear, clearly sympathetic light, but then throughout the film, murky the, the way you see them and, and, and suggest that, that you know, these, these people that you've gone so sympathetic for are not black and white angels, but complicated and, um, I guess, characters who have been through circumstances where the where easy answers are hard to come by. And actually, the, to get to the UK, you, have to, you, you often have to make really hard choices. And so I guess that's why it was interesting or exciting to, to force the audience to question their own sympathies for the characters. Now, I'll put a huge spoiler on this. Um, a spoiler warning out there in the world so people skip past this part. But I think there's going to be some argument about what exactly happens on the bus um, and how exactly Bull gets on the bus. Can you sort of explain that sequence so that there's no ambiguity? Or do you want there to be ambiguity? I think ambiguity is good because I, I, I don't think easy answers is... Um, I think when you're in places of conflict, I don't think it's easy to get, like, to find a clear, satisfying um, answer for uh, these things. Mm -hmm. I think what we tried to show was a, a very messy situation that often happens when, when you're reading about people migrating from war-torn countries, that people often find themselves losing family members and find themselves finding themselves split up from each other and having to make sacrifices to get to a new, uh, to get to a place of safety. There was there's been stories of people um, losing children or having to give their children to other people to get them out of a, a, a situation. And, and it, it's quite, it's, 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 surprisingly or shockingly common scenario yeah. where, the, where that sort of um, fight or flight or um, quick having to respond quickly to a, to a danger, these things tend to happen. Yeah. I don't know if you watched the US presidential debate yesterday. I, if I didn't have to, I probably wouldn't. <laughs> really ugly moment where they're sort of arguing over more than 500 children who are separated from their families in the U.S. and the circumstances that had happened and this attempt to sort of paint it with a black and white brush. Like they were all brought here by coyotes or drug dealers or something. Um, 
versus no, they were all brought with their family. And it's like you said, these are incredibly traumatic, complicated, messy situations that are also unfolding quickly. And I thought you presented that beautifully. And for me, and probably everyone, the most moving part of the film, just incredible. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, that, that was what that scene was trying to represent, that, those kind of moments where it's not easy or it's unfair to take such a stiff moral um, perspective on it. Yeah, yeah. Now, I kind of skipped past the way that you first got this movie, which sounds almost incredibly lucky. Um, <laughs> Did you have like a lot of irons in the fire and this is the iron that happened to uh, pay off or how did it? How did it what do you mean out? by that? Well, I mean, we all kind of plant seeds everywhere and think maybe yeah. it will pan out and maybe this thing will pan out. And maybe this will pan out. I'm mixing a lot of metaphors. Um, <laughs> is this just, did you have a lot of roots to get into make a feature film in mind? And this is the one that happened to work? No, I planted just one seed and, <laughs> and, and prayed on, that seed for rain and sunshine. Um, it, it was a, um, it did happen quite really quickly. I did one short before this, Tickle Monster, and then before that, I was doing commercials and short, little short films and fun stuff. So it, it, it happened incredibly fast. I mean, it's that Robert Evans quote about opportunity plus uh, preparation equals luck. So obviously yeah. you had the preparation and doing all the work and then the opportunity presented itself. But I also think like it's, it, it's, it will be also disingenuous to, to say it just happened. Like, yeah. I mean, I've been wanting to make films since a teenager, younger. Yeah. And so even though this was the first thing I'd written, like I've been trying to write for ages. And I don't think, I think for most of my twenties, I was a terrible writer. Hmm. Like I, I fought for for jokes. I just quickly find that HD, that, that external hard drive before my history mm. stuff in and just take a look like a few weeks ago. And I was pretty horrified at rereading some of the stuff I wrote when I was in my early 20s. It, it was really bad. And I I do remember I was about... 25 or 26 and I was doing the umpteenth commercial and I was like um I can't do another one or else I'm going to go into an island somewhere far away and never return to the human race ever again but and I decided I'm going to work out how to write I'm going to treat it like any kind of craft or any kind of um vocation. I don't just understand how it works technically. And so I, I really studied for a long time. I really read lots of stuff. And I, I really took a very practical approach to getting better and writing. Can you talk about what that practical approach involved? Because I think we'd all like to do it. <laughs> um, it really was like, so for example, like a book I love, it's Into the Woods, which is a really, really, really fantastic book about narrative and structure. And it was really a way for me to understand 
how a, an idea or a concept is is the core of everything from beat to beat to, to scene to scene to act to act and to really understand that concept and to, to weave it into everything you do. And I think I learned a little bit of that when I was a part of a directing duo as Till No One with Luke Wright. We, um, we really honed into how to break a concept and how to simplify it and to really um, mold it to, to say what you want to say. But yeah, I just, it took me a long time to teach myself. And I think um, Tickle Monster was the first, the first time I really um, wrote something and I really utilized what I'd learned and really felt like, oh, I get it now. I can see, I, I see how you, I see how it works now from beat to beat to, to dialogue to, to, to scenes like, it felt like a real moment when my mind clicked and I understand. I, I feel like I understood narrative. Did you feel like you had an advantage coming into his house from the outside, like not being one of the original writers of the story? Because you um, that they couldn't see anymore? It's just when you're, when you're very close to a story, sometimes it's hard to totally drill it down to a log line. It could be. I, I also think when we, when I started, when I finished film school, I started, started making films with my friend, Iguai, as Tanoan. And when we started, part of the way we started thinking, because we were like, how do we make in this industry? And we decided we were going to go to his dad's photography studio, use this Canon 5D, shoot stuff. If it's good or if it's not good, it doesn't matter. We'll just put it on the internet. <laughs> if, it, if, if people like it, people like it. People don't like it. It's the internet. People forget about it. But the m most important thing is to go back into the studio the next day and make something else and do the same thing and do it again and again until, until we get somewhere. And I think, and we called ourselves Tell No One because it was part of not being so precious about our, our ideas and to just let them go and just to, I feel like as creators, we get so bound to what we're work, what we're working on that it can be it it can be really a, the death of inspiration by not letting it go and so with working with Tell No One and having to be part of duo it was a really good lesson in talking through ideas trying them out letting them letting it go if it's not working being okay with that working on a new idea and keep doing that and I think even when you're writing. You often write by yourself and you often get in your head and you often get stuck. And I think that can be so dangerous. I think by going into a project like this, you're instantly telling people your ideas. They're coming back with notes and feedback and you're bouncing off that and you're learning from that and you're developing. And I think that's a really important part of the process is that relationship you have with either your producers or if you're a writer with your editor or your agent I think it's really dangerous to to believe that 
only you can do it by yourself. <laughs> I wondered if we could talk about Sundance. You have one of the great success stories of Sundance 20, 2020, um, where Netflix comes in and takes the movie. Was that, was that the dream? Was that your hope? And how did things change when it happened? I was really in my head during sundowns because everything was so terrifying, like showing a film and having people watch it and tell you what they think. Like it, it was, I was so like um, overwhelmed by everything. It's really hard to um, work out or try and um, articulate how it, how it, was, how it felt. I do, I think it was all really exciting. And I never fully trusted I would get to this place. And so I still don't, I don't think I've really rationalized in my head the fact that lots of people are gonna see this film. <laughs> so I think, <laughs> I, think um, I think maybe the next few weeks and have a better understanding of the whole process. Something I ask people, and I, I'm just waiting for someone to say yes. Have you taken a moment as a filmmaker to just sit back and appreciate this success and enjoy that all of your hard work has paid off and something great and that people appreciate it? It's, that's really hard things. That's a really hard thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's a driving force in all filmmakers because I have yet to meet one who says, yes, uh, I'm super happy with this and I'm going to just rest in my laurels for a minute and enjoy it. No one ever says yes. My mind is always searching for something. Like I'm always like, the film in my head isn't really finished, but even though I, I've let it go, you know, like if I really think about it, there's so much I would, I feel like I'd do differently. Um, I'm always thinking about what, I like what, what this film is, is just a reflection on myself. I'm always thinking about, am I, have I done the right thing in terms of what I've, my messages, in the, in the messages in the film. So like, it's such a weird, complicated vortex of feelings. It's, it's hard for me just to sit back and relax. That's Remy Weeks, director of His House, now streaming on Netflix, continuing our perfect streak on the Movie Maker Interviews podcast, of wonderful filmmakers who never cut themselves a break. If you enjoyed that conversation, I would love for you to join another conversation we have this week on the Low Key Podcast, where Aaron Lanton, Keith Denny, and I talk about his house and how it made us feel about our own country, the United States, even though it's set in the UK. We have a lot to talk about with the division in this country and how we sort of dehumanize each other. Um, I think it was a really good talk, and I really enjoyed and appreciated having it. I'd also love for you to join us anytime at moviemaker.com, where we're up to all kinds of crazy antics every day. And I'm recording this on Halloween. Wherever you are, however you're celebrating, I hope you enjoy many, many treats. I'm Tim Malloy for Movie Maker Interviews. Thank you and see you soon.